I'd like you to uh, imagine, if you will, that you live in the Middle Ages, back in those days when we were all ruled by kings. Now, here in uh, the Dutch Caribbean, Bonaire is actually officially a part of the Netherlands. The Netherlands has a king, even now. Though I'd have to say, I don't think he rules that much. Uh, he doesn't rule like the king of the old day, the, the, the Dutch king in the old days ruled. Or uh, even today, for example, there's a queen of England. She barely rules at all. Though she is called the ruler. <laughs> but in those days, we had uh, the rule of man as opposed to Nowadays, at least in the West, the rule of law. So we had a king. Imagine what it would mean if you were one of the king's subjects. Imagine what it would mean if the king considered you his friend. It would really change everything about you, I think. If you were a friend of the king, I wonder how you would conduct yourselves among the other subjects of the king. It might make you kind of proud and conceited, I suppose, though that wouldn't be right. Because even though you're the friend of the king, you are, in fact, still the subject of the king. You didn't become the king because you became his friend. It would be a big deal to be the friend of the king. Well, in our text this morning, we find the king of kings, the king of kings, announcing to a group of people that he considers them his friends. No longer, he says, Slaves or subjects, but friends. It's a big deal. And so this morning I want us to think about what it means for Christians to be converted from slaves to friends. Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, the word for Lord in the Koine Greek language of the Bible is kurias. And a Lord has servants. What makes someone a Lord is that they have servants. And what makes someone a servant is that they have a Lord. These two words correspond to each other. And the word for servant is really the word for slave, doulos. Doulos, slave. It's someone who's really actually owned by the person who is their Lord. But I want to just read to you this text from John chapter 15 that we're going to look at today. Jesus addressing his disciples. 
Remember, when we say Jesus Christ is Lord, we're talking about some, we're talking about an eternal relationship. Jesus Christ is Lord of all, of everything for all time, from eternity past to eternity future. There is nothing over which he is not Lord. But listen to what he says to his disciples. This is John 15, and I'm going to read verses 12 to 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, that's doulos, slaves. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Now, we've been looking at John 15 for several weeks now, and uh, we've noticed several things, and I just want to kind of review. I want us to sort of have the, the logic, the argument, if you will, of the chapter in our minds as we move in and through this particular paragraph. First of all, we've learned that bearing fruit is any exhibit of the reproductive, multiplying life of the vine. So Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and there's an expectation that the branches will bear fruit. And so we studied that and we learned that fruit is righteousness exhibited in the life of the Christian that comes from Jesus through the Christian out into the world, and that this is for the glory and praise of God. So the life of God himself is exhibited in the life of the Christian, and that's bearing fruit. We notice that fruitful branches glorify God's. They exhibit God's nature. This is God's intention for his creation of humanity from the very beginning. We're made to bear his image, to spread his glory around the planet. Then, last time, we noticed this. We've been loved by Jesus as he has been loved by the Father. So the eternal love of the triune God has been poured out on us by Jesus. This would be in his incarnation, in his atoning sacrifice, in his uh, intercession for us even today before the throne of grace, even his, the expectation of his return to finish and complete our resurrection and salvation for all time to come, 
and even in the ongoing relationship we will have with him, that in-person relationship we expect following the resurrection, uh, he will be exhibiting the same love he's received, that eternal love of the eternal Father for the eternal Son is shared with us. We are caught up into the very fellowship of the triune God. What an amazing thing. We've been loved by Jesus as he has been loved by the Father. Then we want to notice this. This is my commandment, his his mandate. Notice the singular. That you love one another. So we've been given the mandate that he was given by the Father. We noticed this, he, he said in, in the text we looked at last time, I've kept my Father's commandments and so abide in his love. And so Jesus had the mandate, the mandate of eternal life, the mandate of laying down his life for his friends. That was, he, he described that laying down of his life as his mandate from the Father. And so he shares this mandate with his disciples here. This is my commandment that you love one another. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And he's saying this, of course, on the night in which he was betrayed. (laughs) So he is going, the next day, he is going to lay down his life for his friends. But notice something here. He's not talking particularly about himself. He's talking about our love for one another, which should be as he has loved us. So if we want to ask the question, well, how? How do we fulfill the love mandate? Well, the answer is something like the way he did. So, and then he says, greater love. So we're not just addressing the question of how to love, but also how much. And we find the answer to both of those issues, how much and how, in what way, in this statement, someone lays down his life for his friends. How do I love? How do I share in the love mandate? I let go of myself. I let go of my life. This word lay down is literally the word to place, like I'm placing this book on the table. I put it down. (laughs) I lay it down. Now, this might involve dying, as it will for Jesus. When he lays down his life, he's going to die. But I can lay down my life in many different ways. I can set myself aside for the benefit of someone else. I can lay down my own life for your sake. There's countless ways in which a person might follow this example of Christ. 
we would say Christ did this when he came into this world, when he was incarnate. He was setting himself aside. That's the very word used in Philippians chapter 2. He laid aside his divine rights in order to become one of us. And so this is bearing fruit in joyful service. I don't, I don't do this with a grudge. Remember, last time Jesus said, I'm sharing this with you so that you'll have the joy that I have and your joy will be full. I'm not going to pour water out on the table like I did last Sunday again, but remember, full. Your joy is full of his joy. In other words, there's not room in you for any other joy but his. And we're not talking about the joy, the sort of joy the world has. We're talking about the abiding joy that does things like endure the cross. And so my joyful service is to set myself aside for someone's benefit. I can do this a million ways every minute of every day. That is the path to real, fulfilling joy in life. But that's a resource I don't possess myself. So I love you as I have been loved. I depend on the source of this love. That's God through Christ, by the Spirit. (laughs) Remember, Romans 5, God pours out his love in our hearts in giving us the Spirit. So, we bear fruit in joyful service. I share life with you. I share the life of Christ that I possess because he's shared it with me. Sometimes he's shared it with me by his people sharing it with me. I experience his love, and so I experience his life, and then I have that life to share with you, the life of Christ, which is the life of the Father. Because remember, he says, I love you with the love I have from the Father The whole three persons of the Godhead are involved in this revolution in the life of a Christian. In the life of someone who has trusted in the work of Christ, in the love of Christ. And so he says, you're my friends. (laughs) You are his friend if he has loved you in this way. He has set his love on you in this way that makes you his friend. It's like the king declaring, you, you're my friend. You've become his friend because he has loved you in this way. And then he says something more. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And of course, we've got to remember what it is he's commanding us right here. Love one another as I have loved you. So you are his friend if he's loved you in this way. And you are his friend if you love, if you love as he has loved you. 
So you become his friend because of the way he has set his affection and his friendship upon you, and you exhibit the fact that you're his friend in the love that you share in the world to the people around you. You're his friend if he's loved you in this way, and you're his friend if you love other people in this way. And then he says one other thing about how you are his friend. (laughs) It's in this statement, I don't call you slaves anymore. Slaves don't know what their master's up to. Slaves just do what they're told. Slaves are not in on why they're being told what they're being told. They just do what they're told. And he says, Slaves don't know what the master's doing, but I've called you friends for all. What a great word is the word all. You should pay attention whenever the Bible uses the word all. Because all is kind of an absolute term. All that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. This is another way of saying what Jesus said when he said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's nothing to know about God that is not revealed in the man, Jesus. How amazing is that? (laughs) How amazing is that? There's nothing to know about God the Father that is not revealed in the man, Jesus. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And he says here, all I've heard from the Father, I've revealed to you. I've made it known to you. This makes you his friend. Think of it. What is involved in friendship? What's involved in friendship is the sharing of one person's heart with another person. It's really knowing someone that makes us friends. And Jesus is saying, you have the whole heart. I've committed myself to you, though you disciples of mine. I have shown all of who I am. There's a trust in that, isn't there? He trusts himself to these men. You know, back in the beginning of the book of John, we read that after the miracle. He said he didn't trust himself. After the changing of water into wine in chapter 2, you remember that part of the story? He told the disciples, the ones he did trust, to kind of keep it to themselves. He didn't trust himself to the others. Here, he's trusting himself to these men. He's their friend. He's not just telling them they're his friends. He's saying, I'm your friend. You're his friend because he's shown you everything he's heard from the Father. And this is what I mean when I say we've been given the love mandate. We've been given the love mandate and we're no longer slaves, but friends. No longer slaves, 
But friends, you have his agenda. It changes everything if the king of kings regards you as his friend. It changes everything. Could you be in a more secure position than to be the friend of the king of kings? No. There is no more secure position. Now, I know you and me and everyone you know and everyone I know, we are going around not feeling that secure. But our feelings are not correct if the king of kings regards us as his friend. You can't be more secure than that. And so our experience of the sacrificial, atoning, redeeming love of Christ, received by faith, transforms our relationship from slave to friend. When I trusted in the love of God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit working in me to see it, when that happened, I was transformed from slave to friend. I was converted from slave to friend. And this carries, that change in our relationship to God in Christ, carries a fundamental shift in our relationship to the law of God. You know, he keeps talking about his commandment, his commandments, his commandment. There's a fundamental shift in our relationship to God's law because there's been a fundamental shift in our relationship to God. Just think of it. If you lived in the time when the king's word was law and the king decided you were his friend, that would change your relationship to his law. And so there's been a fundamental change in our relationship to the law of God. And because of that, there's a fundamental change in the nature of our obedience to God. It's the obedience of a friend as opposed to the obedience of a slave. That's a big shift. A big shift. And this is why the scripture says throughout the rest of the whole Old Testament or New Testament, you are no longer under law, but under grace. It's a big deal. It changes everything. So now, instead of the law being a list of imposing rules and tasks for me to carry out, like the orders of a slave, as though the slave master wrote down a list before he left for the day and he put it on the table and I'm supposed to take that list and just make sure everything gets done. The law is no longer that to me. I've been literally released from the condemning requirements of the law by the sacrifice of Christ. 
Instead, the law is something like this, a shared agenda. I don't obey the law because it's required of me. I obey the law now because it's how I get in on the love of Christ. As the scripture says so often, all the law is summarized in two commandments, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. So now all the little rules that are the subcategories of those rules, all of those are transformed from demand to opportunity. Now all I'm getting in the law is information about how to go about actually loving people, actually loving God. My relationship to the rules has fundamentally changed. They are no longer imposing demands. They are a shared agenda. As I have come to know Christ and he leads me, I obey not not under threat of judgment, but because why would I want to do anything else? So now, he says here, he uses this word. You remember we talked about this. Keep. Now I keep his commands. I keep them. Remember, the word keep is a word like shepherds keep sheep. I care for them. I watch over them. I feed them. I take care. And so in keeping the commandments, the commandments become precious to me. They're not a burden on me. They're a good outlet for the love that I've experienced from God. And then he goes on. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Wow. And this reminds me of what he said back in chapter 10 with the good shepherd, my sheep hear my voice, they follow me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And appointed you. Funny, this word appointed. You remember when I said, I described the word uh, lay down your life as placing something? This word appointed is the same. In other words, Jesus is saying to the disciples, look, I picked you out of the crowd, and then I put you into the world. I appointed you into the world that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide, same word, last, remain, stay Your fruit, a person who lives in the love mandate of the gospel by drawing on the love of Christ and sharing that love out into the world, that person's fruit is eternal. They exhibit the eternal life of God that has been given to them 
and now they exhibit it into the world. And he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you. Did you know that your decision to participate was based on his decision, his selection? What if the Lord of all, the Lord of all, has decided to call you his friend? You're as safe as safe can be. And so because you're as safe as safe can be, you can live with Great liberty in love. You don't have to worry about whether people love you back. You got all the love you need. You can take the risk of opening yourself up to others because of the security of your position, because he chose you and appointed you to fulfill the promise of God the exhibition of the very life of God in the creation. What a privilege. He appointed you to bear fruit. Remember, to bear fruit is to perpetuate his life into the lives of others, to love others as he has loved you. As we get absorbed (laughs) by the gospel mandate, As we get absorbed, I can't think of a better word, by the gospel mandate, as we grow into sharing Christ's agenda in this world, something happens to the way we pray. Here's, here's, this, this is really interesting. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. As I, as I become engaged in this mandate to love others as I've been loved, The more engaged I become, the more I need to draw on his love. Because people don't love you back like you need. I got to draw his. I got to draw on his. I got to draw love from the source. And as I share that with risk-taking liberality, The more absorbed in that mandate I become, my prayer is more and more oriented around that mandate and what I need, therefore what I'm going to pray for, what I need is what I need for that purpose. Suddenly, I don't need a lot of things. I only need the things I need in order to be this loving person that I am called to be in Christ. And I know he's going to provide whatever I need. 
This changes how I pray. Notice that this prayer he talks about here, whatever you ask the Father in my name. In my name. That means I go, I go stand right before the throne of God, the throne of grace, and I say to God, in Jesus' name, I say to you. <laughs> and Jesus is standing right there. So imagine, I think about this in terms of like when I was a kid and I would go to my brother and I would tell him what my father told me to tell him. I'd say, Dad says you have to do this. I'm talking to my brother in the name of my father. And if I'm lying, I'm in trouble. And I come before God the Father in Jesus' name. I'm saying, it's like I'm saying, and if Jesus were talking, he'd be asking you for the exact same thing. I'm, I'm invoking the authority of Jesus before God the Father. Well, the more I am wrapped up in the mandate of the love of God, in Christ, by the Spirit, the more I'm wrapped up by that mandate, the more my prayer in Jesus' name is actually, honestly, in Jesus' name. Like he would ask for that if he were me. We begin to ask for the things he wants to grant. We begin to pray in Jesus' name for real if we abide in his love and his love abides in us and we love one another as we have been loved. This is the whole thing. And he concludes right here. He says, these things I command you, that you love one another. This goes back into chapter 13. Remember, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is how everyone will know who you are. I can go around saying I'm a Christian. Many people go around saying they're Christians. I really am a Christian when I engage in this friendship with Christ, when I engage in this mandate of his love, when I trust him to love me, set myself aside, and love you. Then I'm really his disciple. That's what he says. This is how you become my disciples. You bear much fruit. And this glorifies God. You, if you know Christ, no longer slave. The king of kings, <laughs> the king of kings has chosen you and appointed you to be the representative of his love to whoever you bump into. To put yourself aside like he put himself aside. And to do what's good for someone else. 
This is the greatest privilege. This is what it really means to actually be a human being made in his image and in his likeness. You know him and you show him. That's the whole thing. (laughs) And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And it's Jesus, the fact that he showed up here, died for our sins, atoned for our unrighteousness, imputed to us his righteousness, and gives us the opportunity to walk by faith in this exact way every day. I pray that even in these times when we're kind of isolated from each other, that we find ways to follow Christ, to put myself aside for the good of another person. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this great love. Lord, uh, we have a hard time seeing it sometimes because of the flesh we're weighed down. Sometimes we can't get our focus. But Lord, I pray that our time this morning and this attention to the Lord Jesus himself and what he said to his disciples will help us will refresh us in your love. Lord, it's so easy for us to even approach this and say, oh, I've got to try harder. When we really need to just look to you. You are the source of these things. Father, we pray that the life of this church would be characterized by this love. That anyone who knows us would be knowing Christ in us. We thank you for these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.